Good morning. Our scripture today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Barbara. Good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Rob. I'm so glad you're here today. And how about that for a transition? I mean, parents on the way to church, and then blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you're insulted, when you are... You know, um, so what if the Beatitudes sounded like this? Happy are those who are independent and self-confident, for they know how to depend on themselves, and they always get what they need and want. Or happy are those who are comfortable. They don't worry about the inconveniences or even the distances between themselves and God. Or happy are those who take charge for they know how to get what they long for. Happy are those who gorge themselves to be satisfied, for their stomachs will always be stuffed. Happy are those who follow their hearts, because as Disney tells us, you'll never go wrong if you follow your heart. And happy are those who call themselves Christians to enter the kingdom of heaven, but never have people lie or mock or insult them, because just because it happened to the prophets doesn't mean it needs to happen to you. Now, in case you're not sure, those are not things Jesus said. Jesus never said those things. So if you leave in the middle of that, then I'm going to be in trouble. But it's a little way, uh, two reasons. One, shameless announcement for the next series about things Jesus never said, that we think they said, that we think he said, but looking at about six statements that either you say or I say or people say or they think they're in the Bible, but they're not. Um, but the other reason I share these non-beatitudes is because the reading that Barbara read actually sounds like it should be something that Jesus never said. Like, what? Wait, persecuted, mocked, lied, insulted? Are you sure that's how it's supposed to be? So... It could be said like this. Happy are those who are chased down and persecuted for doing what's right in God's eyes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those when people insult you, when they hunt you down to harass you, or they mock you, or they spew lies about all the evils you have or haven't done. Experience joy. In fact, jump and shout for joy because you are receiving a giant reward in heaven because in the same way that people harassed and hunted down the prophets, this is what they're doing to you. See, I think that Jesus is saying that if we're following Jesus, we should not be surprised by persecution, but we should have a surprising response. So if you're someone who's going to call Jesus Lord and live your life Christ-centered, then you are going to experience persecution. 
Now, if you've lived in other parts of the world, this might be an easier concept, but if you've only lived here, then maybe you're like, oh, I'm not sure I buy that. But if you think back to when the United States was established, there were a lot of, not all, but a lot of American cultural values that were actually lined up with a lot of Christ-centered values. Even today, if you look at surveys and polls, even just in the recent years, it'll still say that 70 to 75% of Americans identify as Christians. Now, their lives may not look any different than those who don't follow Jesus, but that's what they, sh- that's what they use as a term of identification. So maybe the term of identification doesn't mean as much as it used to. Or could it be that saying you're a Christian or saying you grew up in a Christian home actually makes no eternal difference? See, because you can be in a, a Christian home that says they believe in God, but actually live as if he doesn't exist. You can be in a Christian home and hope for heaven, but focus on all the stuff of earth. You can be in a Christian home and say you pray to Jesus for the big stuff, but then sweat and struggle for all the little stuff. You can say God is a little piece of your life, but not the center of your life. So in this series, we've been using this term Christ-centered. One, because as restoration, it's our first and highest value. But two, it means that Jesus isn't just a piece of our lives. We're saying more and more he's the first and center of our life every day. Saying we're Christ-centered means that we live for him and we live with purpose and that his purpose actually becomes our purpose and that his values become our values, that every day of the week is a day that we can live with Jesus. It means that we can live for Jesus. When we're Christ-centered, it changes the way we treat people. It changes the way we parent It changes the way we spend money. It changes the way we consume entertainment. And now, when we talk about persecution, there are times where we suffer, and it's because we made bad choices. (laughs) Or we suffer, and it's because of sin. And I might say those are consequences. But what I'm talking about today, and what I think the Bible talks about specifically with persecution, is when we suffer and there's an injustice, and it's because we're living right with God. We're doing the right thing in God's eyes. Like when we first talked in week one, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not just being good. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is saying, I want, I'm orientating my whole life towards God and God's will. That's not just exclusive where I'm good, but where I'm seeking good for everyone else as well. And if you want to find the first story of persecution in the Bible for righteousness, you don't have to look very far. You actually just need to go four chapters in. The book of Genesis. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was the son that brought his first and best to God as an offering. He knew that meant something. He was doing right in God's eyes. Cain brought an offering. doesn't say it was the first and best. It was just an offering. God didn't look on favor with that offering, and Cain was angry about that. Now think about it. 
Abel didn't preach to his brother. He didn't compare their offerings. He didn't say anything to his brother. He simply brought his first and best. He lived righteous towards God, and his brother killed him for it. That's the first persecution for righteousness. I think if we live centered in Christ, we will be persecuted. And people anywhere else in the world, they understand this. I was, on Thursday, I was sitting with a small group of people from Restoration, and we were listening to two believers from Egypt that were sharing about their work, their faith. They serve an organization in Egypt that reaches out to all kinds of people, and uh, they partner with uh, a group called MENA, M-E-N-A, Middle East and North Africa. MENA is a group that our group of churches has started in the United States and Canada that supports the Middle East and North Africa to see um, people of all backgrounds coming to faith in Christ. I have to, I know this is recorded and I know it will be posted, so I have to be careful how I say those things. Um, and Jeff and Darlene Anderson from Restoration actually lead that with the covenant. And so I was listening to these two women talk about the work they do and some of us that were there, and it was fascinating to hear what they experience. Like, when we get a driver's license, it says our state. When they get an identification card, it actually shares their faith background. Christian, Muslim, something else. (laughs) There were three or four different faiths, and you had to have that everywhere. If you um, had a Christian label on your tag, and you tried to persuade, convert someone with a Muslim tag, you could be persecuted, arrested, or worse. It's against the law. In some parts of Egypt, your home can be burned down, your belongings can be taken, and there's not a thing if you have Christian on there that you can do about it. Uh, No matter how talented you are, I didn't know this, but if you are a very talented soccer player and you want to play for the national team and you are a Christian, you cannot play on the team. If you want to be a lawyer, just know that if you're a Christian, there are no Christian judges in Egypt. And it's almost impossible to be a university professor in Egypt if you're a Christian. In fact, if you have the grades that are high enough to be considered to be a professor, there's a good chance that in your final semesters, your grades will purposely be lowered so that you are not considered. I would call that unjust. I would call that wrong. I would call that discrimination. And that's fine, I can do that, but it won't change their system. And yet, in all of these places, the gospel is moving and transforming people. Uh, These women were hopeful. There are Christian denominations that don't play nice together in the United States that are unified and working together in the Middle East, in North Africa, in Egypt, to see the gospel change people's lives. Believers talk about a closeness with Jesus that 
honestly almost makes me want that kind of persecution here. Almost. And as I look at our, our world today, I think that if it's not in my lifetime, it's going to be in the next generation's time that in America we'll experience these kind of persecutions. So whether or not you're a parent or you just lead or care about the next generation, what does it look like for us to prepare for persecution as people who love Jesus? I think Jesus tells us in these verses and several other places in the Bible that it's going to happen, so we should expect it. And if we are leading the next generation, we need to teach them to expect it. If you are a note-taker, you could write that down. If you're not, you can. that's fine. But Jesus says it in John 15 when he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In fact, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. You've, I've chosen you out of the world. So that's why I've told you that the world hates you. It's because you're living in a different way. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. It's... Just a fact, Jesus is saying. And Paul, one of Jesus' followers, tells a young pastor, Timothy, the same thing. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. So how does that look for you? How might that look for us? Well, uh, a few years ago, we moved into a neighborhood that um, is a very pleasant neighborhood. They do a, a neighborhood campout. And a month after we moved in, we heard about the campout. And so people were like, oh, next year you should come on the campout with us. And I'm like, sure, we'd love to. When you find out what I do for a living, I wonder if you'll still ask us. And they did. They still asked us. And they did find out what I did for a living. So it was great. We went and we had a, a wonderful time, mostly. Because the second night, uh, around the campfire with, you know, 20-some adults. Uh, one person had been um, a little inebriated, we'll say, and uh, she just starts going off about faith and about the church and then about me. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do anything to you, which I didn't say, I just listened, but you could just hear the hurt and the anger and the frustration in her voice, and that's not the only time that happens to me. Now, you might say, well, you're, you're a pastor, Rob. That's just what happens. Mm, you know what? The way Jesus talks about this, first, he says, well, you're blessed when people insult you, so especially because of righteousness. But the way he talks about the beatitude is a matter of fact like the rest. Like, blessed are you who are full of mercy, so be full of mercy. It's part of what you do. Blessed are you when you make peace. Make peace. Blessed are you when you're persecuted and despised and rejected. This is something that's going to happen. It's a mark of being a disciple of Jesus as any of the others. It's something we need to expect. Um, 
It's a story about John Wesley. I don't know if you've heard it before. John Wesley was the founder of the group called the Methodist Churches, and he was riding his donkey, because that's what was available at the time, and as he's riding through town, one day he realizes that three days had passed, and he hadn't experienced any persecution. He hadn't been shouted at, yelled at, bricks thrown at him, eggs thrown at him, nothing. And he became so distraught about that that he stopped his donkey, he got off, and he said, Lord, am I doing something wrong? Am I sinning? Am I following my own way? Is there some reason I'm not experiencing persecution? And as he got down on his knees to pray to God about this, some guy on the other side of the the bushes starts hearing him. He doesn't really like him, and he's like, I'll show that preacher man. And he grabs a brick, and he throws it at Wesley. So, all, you know, he's praying. All of a sudden, over the shoulder comes this brick, lands on the ground, doesn't hit him, and the guy misses and starts saying, you know, his own little version of being frustrated. And Wesley gets up, and he's like, oh, thank God. Okay, thank you, God. I know that I'm still in your will. I will face persecution. We will face persecution. Maybe we should be more concerned about when we're not facing persecution. I think we can help the next generation by not being shocked when we hear stories about it. I mean, if you think about the way Jesus describes the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are you when you're poor and needy and our world values affluence, and self-reliance. And blessed are you when you mourn in a world that values pleasure and accumulation and entertainment. And Jesus wants us to be meek, to have power under control in a world that values pride and absolute power. And Jesus wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness in a world that values discontentment and stratification. Jesus wants us to be full of mercy in a world that values keeping to ourselves and not letting others see us suffer. Jesus wants us to be pure in heart in a world that values impurity. Jesus wants us to make peace in a world that values keeping the peace. Of course, we are going to be persecuted. It's like two value systems that are irreconcilable. They are will clash. We've got to expect it. I think the second way that we can prepare for persecution and prepare the next generation for persecution is teaching us to endure it, not just expect it. Now, 1 Corinthians 4.12 says it like this, when we're cursed, we bless, and when we're persecuted, we endure it. Now, I sometimes wish that it said, when we're cursed, we bless, and when we're persecuted, we get to whine about it. I sometimes am a whiner. Uh, Or when we're persecuted, we post slanderous and rude comments on social media about it. Doesn't say that. It doesn't even say when we're persecuted, we get to retaliate. It says we're called to endure it. Now, this can look a lot of different ways. One of the ways that it looked for me when I was in high school was 
when we had a speaker talk about true love waiting, or, um, yeah, we'll just call it that. You can probably guess what it's about. So, um, if you can, I'll tell you, there was a girl that asked me, so, um, like, when do you think that you're going to have sex? And I'm like, well, when I'm married, or when I meet the right person and we're committed to each other. I haven't really decided yet. And this person challenged that thought, and I mocked her for it, and a little seed of truth, of righteousness, went into my heart. And when my first relationship went south quickly, um, way too fast before anything ever got there, and when my second relationship could have gotten there, and I was dating someone that was full of righteousness, I went, well, maybe it's a good thing to not do this. And I was mocked for it by guys and by girls. In fact, I had two girls in college break up with me because I wouldn't bend this standard enough. I, I'm not full of righteousness. I back, I took steps back into a place where this area of my life looked somewhat or mostly righteous. Jesus says, you're blessed when people mock you for righteousness. When I was an RA during college, we had to do um, a residence assistant. We had to do... uh, a small group thing that was called like a personal values assessment. And so they took these five note cards that each had words on them and they were in sets of four. And every one of the five, at least one of the five note cards had a Christian value or a salvation value or a kingdom value on it. I mean, one word literally, one card literally said salvation. Um, One said righteousness. One said kingdom of God, I think. And so we had to rank in our, what, what we thought was most important in each of these five sets. We thought this was a way to understand each other. What I came to realize was, because I know that four of the probably 24 residence assistants put a Christian value or a Jesus value at the top of every one of those lists. And I was one of those four, and the four of us were persecuted and systematically either penalized, two of them were fired because of their faith. And I knew that there was nothing I could do about it. Fighting it would have been fruitless, so I just tried to endure it. Again, I don't know how it's going to happen for you. I just know Jesus says that you're blessed when people say things falsely against you because of Jesus' name. But we actually are told why else we could endure this and why we should endure this. Paul tells the Roman believers in Romans chapter 5 that we glory in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out for us. 
we see good things happen inside of us when we go through this. He also says that when we endure it, Jesus says we will have a great reward. We might lose everything on earth. We might lose everything on earth. But Jesus says we will gain everything in heaven. Now, I don't know if that means riches or crowns or special awards. I kind of sometimes don't think so because that would mean comparison and really, I think, in the presence and glory of God, all those things are not going to matter. But I do think that it means being present and in the presence of the King of Heaven. And that will be great. Peter tells us that when we endure it, it proves a genuineness to our faith. We can't just say we're a Christian when we're undergoing persecution. We feel it. People see it. It proves this. this it's like a certificate of Christian, Christ-centered authenticity, which would be a really dorky picture to have on your wall. But our faith becomes more real. It becomes more authentic. Others can see it, and, and we become closer to Jesus when this happens. And it also becomes stronger the next time around. See, if your kid is pressured to bully someone and they say no to it, congratulate them. Let them know that that's a good thing. The more they stand up to that peer pressure then, the more they'll be able to stand up to bigger peer pressure later. In fact, it solidifies our identity when we do this. Or when a business deal looks just a little bit dirty and people around you say, oh, that's just how people do it. Like, you're being way too overly ethical. This happens all the time. You say no. You endure it. And you talk to Jesus about honoring him. And you ask, I would ask that he would honor you, but even if he doesn't, you don't do it. You endure it. Someone else might see it. They might be moved towards Jesus. And even if they aren't, you're proving a genuineness of your faith. We expect it. It's going to happen. If Jesus is our master and we're his students, then we shouldn't be surprised by it. We endure it. We don't whine about it. We don't fight back about it. We move through it knowing that it's going to make a difference inside us and outside of us. But then... I think most surprising is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Rejoice. Have joy when you go through this. Embrace it. That's how we can teach the next generation to prepare for the persecution. We can embrace this. First Peter says it like this. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeals that have come upon you to test you. Now, he could be referring back when he says fiery ordeals to when in 1 Peter 1, he says, don't be surprised in a little while you've had to suffer persecution under great trial. These have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, which is tested like a metal test, fire test metal. Might be that. Might be a reference back to that. But it might also be the fiery ordeal that was happening to Christians at the time that he was writing. One of the more nasty emperors, Nero, I believe, would accuse Christians of burning his city and then he would burn them. 
raise them up, and light them on fire. To light up the city at night? Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. To me, that gives it a whole new light, not pun intended. But rejoice that as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit and glory of God rests on you. And if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but instead praise God that you bear his name. See, when we go through these things, we ultimately grow closer to Christ. All throughout history, if you endure persecution, when the church endured persecution, it became stronger, it became more clear, more passionate, more bold. The gospel spread. China has been this closed country. People try to meet anytime it's any time people assemble in the name of Jesus, it's illegal, and yet the gospel is spreading. Churches are forming and expanding. Things are moving in that part of the world that, where they have never moved before. It happens in a family. As a family gets persecuted, they become stronger. As they put their identity more in Christ, the pressures of the world become weaker. Their faith becomes stronger. If your faith identity or your family identity is cloudy, if there's no higher mission, if you're like, well, I don't know, this vacation sounds nice, or maybe we should you know, keep talking about this car that could really look cool, which is fine, but it's just also maybe not the mission that Jesus is calling us to, then that peer pressure gets stronger. But when you know who you are, you know what to do. See, that's why Jesus' disciples went through the things I think they went through. They learned over time that they were going to suffer like Jesus suffered. And so after his resurrection and after the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon them, there's this situation in Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5 where Peter and John meet a crippled man, they heal him in the name of Jesus, and then they get arrested. And as they're being tried and questioned and accused by the same people that persecuted and persuaded everyone to crucify Jesus, they stood up in against it. They said, well, you're telling us not to preach in Jesus' name? We can't talk, stopping about his, talk, stop talking about his name. And after their threats, they beat them and let them go. And it says that Peter and John rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer the disgrace for the name of Jesus. Acts 5, 42. just want you to consider that for a moment as we reflect and close. Where have you suffered disgrace for the name of Jesus? Do people make fun of you because you give your money to God's kingdom in other parts of the world? Do 
Do people make fun of you because you don't go to certain kinds of movies? You don't buy certain kinds of things? You're not trying to be judgy to other people. You're just trying to live right with Jesus. He says you're blessed when that happens. Do you not get invited to everything? Because you don't participate in the same way that others do. Remember, Jesus says, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for doing what's right. You're blessed when you're pure in heart. You're blessed when you make peace instead of just keeping it. You're blessed when you strive for righteousness. Because Jesus calls you and me to something more than just blend in average cultural Christianity that doesn't transform the world and it actually just makes us not See, this is when you know you run out of words. It's not life-giving. It's not full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have joy. It's just something you do. I don't want that. I don't think you do either. Would you ask the Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit, where in my life am I settling? Maybe I'm, there could be lots of reasons, but just Holy Spirit, where in my life am I blending in? God, would you speak to us about where we need to start to expect persecution? Maybe we've got a situation right now, Holy Spirit, that you are bringing to our mind that feels like persecution. God, would you just tell us if you're calling us to endure that? Not whine about it, not fight back, not post nasty things about it, but just endure it. God, we know that you can use it. God, where in our life have we been pushing persecution away? Maybe out of fear, maybe out of weakness. And you are calling us to embrace that. Remind us, God, that when we embrace persecution, you give us vision. You remind us that there is an army in heaven that surrounds us, that we see you in a way that we've never seen you before, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that Jesus, you are sitting at the right hand of God, and that you command life and death and resurrection. Those are the kinds of people yeah, that we want to be. And God, we pray for the believers all around the world who suffer far more than we do. We stand with them in spirit, God, and we ask that you protect them and you provide for them. And we ask, God, that you help us to live in a way that changes not only our lives, but, God, their lives as well. God, we thank you for the missionaries that the rest of the world is sending here to teach us to live centered in